Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey sis, welcome to Girl Good Nightmares, where we help you sleep in melanated peace with a spooky twist. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into the show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading The Queen of Spades, a short story written by Alexander Pushkin in 1834. Alexander S. Pushkin was a Russian poet, novelist and playwright born in 1799. Pushkin's father was a member of the Russian noble family and his mother was the granddaughter of an African general, making him biracial. At age 15, he wrote his first poem and established himself in the literary community. He is now known to be the founder of modern Russian literature. He died in 1837 as a result of a duel between himself and the man that was allegedly having an affair with his wife. The Queen of Spades is the story of a Russian officer of German descent named Hermann who learns of an old woman that knows secrets about winning at the card game Pharaoh. He begins a relationship with Lizaveta to gain access to the old woman who is not willing to reveal her secrets. The old woman dies and visits Herman in his dreams to tell him the winning cards. On his last bet, Herman is terrified to discover that he won slightly more than he had bargained for. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. The Queen of Spades, Chapter 1 There was a card party at the rooms of Naramov, 
a lieutenant in the horse guards. A long winter night had passed unnoticed and it was five o'clock in the morning when supper was served. The winner sat down to the table with an excellent appetite. The losers let their plates remain empty before them. Little by little, however, with the assistance of the champagne, the conversation became animated and was shared by all. How did you get on this evening, Siren? said the host to one of his friends. Oh, I lost as usual. I really have no luck. I play Marindol. You know that I keep cool. Nothing moves me. I never change my play, and yet I always lose. Do you mean to say that all the evening you did not once back the red? Your firmness of character surprises me. What do you think of Herman? said one of the party, pointing to a young engineer officer. That fellow never made a bet or touched a card in his life, and yet he watches us playing until five in the morning. It interests me, said Herman, but I am not disposed to risk the necessary in view of the superfluous. Herman is a German and economical. That is the whole of the secret, cried Tomsky. But what is really astonishing is the Countess Anna Betatopna. How so? asked several voices. Have you not remarked, said Tomsky, that she never plays? Yes, said Naramov. A woman of 80 who never touches a card. That is indeed something extraordinary. You do not know why? No. Is there a reason for it? Just listen. My grandmother, you know, some 60 years ago, went to Paris and became the rage there. People ran after her in the streets and called her the Muscovite Venus. Richelieu made love to her, and my grandmother makes out that by her rigorous demeanor, she almost drove him to suicide. In those days, women used to play at Pharaoh. One evening at the court, she lost, on parole, to the Duke of Orleans, a very considerable sum. When she got home, my grandmother removed her beauty spots, took off her hoops, and in this tragic costume went to my grandfather, told him of her misfortune, and asked him for the money she had to pay. My grandfather, now no more, was, so to say, his wife's steward. He feared her like fire, but the sum she named made him leap into the air. He flew into a rage, made a brief calculation, and proved to my grandmother that in six months she had gone through half a million rubles. He told her plainly that he had no villages to sell in Paris, his domains being situated in the neighborhood of Moscow and of Saratov, and finally refused point blank. You may imagine the fury of my grandmother. She boxed his ears and passed the night in another room. The next day, she returned to the charge. For the first time in her life, she condescended to arguments and explanations. In vain, she did try to prove to her husband that there were debts and debts and that she could not treat a prince of the blood like her coachmaker. All this eloquence was lost. My grandfather was inflexible. My grandmother did not know where to turn. Happily, she was acquainted with a man who was very celebrated at this time. You have heard of the Count of St. Germain, about whom so many marvelous stories were told? You know that he passed for a sort of wandering Jew, and that he was said to possess an elixir of life and the Philosopher's Stone. 
Some people laughed at him as a charlatan. Casanova, in his memoirs, says that he was a spy. However that may be, in spite of the mystery of his life, Saint Germain was much sought after in good society and was really an agreeable man. Even to this day, my grandmother had preserved a genuine affection for him and she becomes quite angry when anyone speaks of him with disrespect. It occurred to her that he might be able to advance the sum of which she was in need and she wrote a note begging him to call. The old magician came at once and found her plunged in the deepest despair. In two or three words, she told him everything, related to him her misfortune and the cruelty of her husband, adding that she had no hope except in his friendship and obliging disposition. Madam, said St. Germain after a few moments' reflection, I could easily advance you the money you want, but I'm sure that you would have no rest until you had repaid me, and I do not want to get you out of one trouble in order to place you in another. There is another way of settling the matter. You must regain the money that you have lost. But, my dear friend, answered my grandmother, I have already told you that I have nothing left. That does not matter, answered St. Germain. Listen to me and I will explain. He then communicated to her a secret which any of you would, I'm sure, give a great deal to possess. All of the young officers gave their full attention. Tomsky stopped to light his Turkish pipe, swallowed a mouthful of smoke, and then went on. That very evening, my grandmother went to Versailles to play at the Queen's table. The Duke of Orleans held the bank. My grandmother invented a little story by way of excuse for not having paid her debt, and then sat down at the table and began to stake. She took three cards. She won with the first, doubled her stake on the second and won again, doubled on the third and still won. Mere luck, said one of the young officers. What a tale, cried Hernan. Were the cards marked? asked a third. I don't think so, replied Tomsky gravely. And you mean to say, exclaimed Naramov, that you have a grandmother who knows the names of three winning cards and you never made her tell them to you? That is the very deuce of it, answered Tomsky. She had three sons of whom my father was one. All three were determined gamblers and not one of them was able to extract her secret from her, though it would have been of immense advantage to them and to me also. Listen to what my uncle told me about it, Count Ivan Illich, and he told me on his word of honor. Chaposky, the one you remember who died in poverty after devouring millions, lost one day when he was a young man to Zorich about 300,000 rubles. He was in despair. My grandmother, who had no mercy for the extravagance of young men, made an exception, I do not know why, in favor of Chaposky. She gave him three cards, telling him to play them one after the other and exacting from him at the same time his word of honor that he would never afterwards touch a card as long as he lived. According to Chapolsky, he went to Zorich and asked for his revenge. On the first card, he staked 50,000 rubles. He won, doubled the stake, and won again. Continuing his system, he gained more than he had lost. 
but it is six o'clock. It is really time to go to bed. Everyone emptied his glass and the party broke up. Chapter two. The old Countess Anna Fedotovna was in her dressing room, seated before her looking glass. Three maids were in attendance. One held her pot of rouge, another a box of black pins, a third an enormous lace cap with flaming ribbons. The Countess had no longer the slightest pretense to beauty, but she preserved all the habits of her youth. She was dressed in the style of 50 years before and gave as much time and attention to her toilet as a fashionable beauty of the last century. Her companion was working at a frame in a corner of the window. Good morning, grandmother, said the young officer as he entered the dressing room. Good morning, Mademoiselle Lisey. Grandmother, I have come to ask you a favor. What is it, Paul? I want to introduce you to one of my friends and to ask you to give him an invitation to your ball. Bring him to the ball and introduce him to me there. Did you go yesterday to the princesses? Certainly. It was delightful. We danced until five o'clock in the morning. Mademoiselle Eletsky was charming. My dear nephew, you are really not difficult to please. As to beauty, you should have seen her grandmother, the Princess Daria Petrovna. But she must be very old, the Princess Daria Petrovna. How do you mean old? cried Tomsky thoughtlessly. She died seven years ago. The young lady who acted as a companion raised her head and made a sign to the officer, who then remembered that it was an understood thing to conceal from the princess the death of any of her contemporaries. He bit his lips. The countess, however, was not in any way disturbed on hearing that her old friend was no longer in this world. Dead, she said, and I never knew it. We were maids of honor in the same year, and when we were presented, the empress and the old countess related for the hundredth time an anecdote of her young days. Paul, she said as she finished her story, help me to get up. Lizaveta, where is my snuff box? And followed by the three maids, she went behind a great screen to finish her toilet. Tomsky was now alone with the companion. Who is the gentleman you wish to introduce to Madame? asked Lizaveta. Naramov, do you know him? No. Is he in the army? Yes. In the engineers? No, in the horse guards. Why did you think he was in the engineers? The young lady smiled, but made no answer. Paul, cried the countess from behind the screen. Send me a new novel, no matter what. Only see that it is not in the style of the present day. What style would you like, grandmother? A novel in which the hero strangles neither his father nor his mother, and in which no one gets drowned. Nothing frightens me so much as the idea of getting drowned. But how is it possible to find you such a book? Do you want it in Russian? Are there any novels in Russian? However, send me something or other. You won't forget? I will not forget, grandmother. I am in a great hurry. 
Goodbye, Lizabetta. What made you fancy Naramov was in the engineers? And Tomsky took his departure. Lizabetta left alone, took out her embroidery, and sat down close to the window. Immediately afterwards, in the street, at the corner of a neighboring house, appeared a young officer. The sight of him made the companion blush to her ears. She lowered her head and almost concealed it in the canvas. At this moment, the counters returned, fully dressed. Lizabetta, she said, have the horses put in. We will go out for a drive. Lizabetta rose from her chair and began to arrange her embroidery. Well, my dear child, are you deaf? Go and tell them to put the horses in at once. I'm going, replied the young lady as she went into the antechamber. A servant now came in, bringing some books from Prince Paul Alexandrovich. Say I am much obliged to him. Lizaveta? Lizaveta? Where has she run off to? I was going to dress. We have plenty of time, my dear. Sit down, take the first volume, and read to me. The companion took the book and read a few lines. Louder, said the countess. What is the matter with you? Have you a cold? Wait a moment. Bring me that stool. A little closer. That will do. Lizavetta read two pages of the book. Throw that stupid book away, said the countess. What nonsense. Send it back to Prince Paul and tell him I am much obliged to him. And the carriage, is it never coming? Here it is, replied Lizaveta, going to the window. And now you are not dressed. Why do you always keep me waiting? It is intolerable. Lizaveta ran to her room. She had scarcely been there two minutes when the countess rang with all her might. Her maids rushed in at one door and her valet at the other. You do not seem to hear me when I ring, she cried. Go and tell Lizaveta that I'm waiting for her. At this moment, Lizaveta entered wearing a new walking dress and a fashionable bonnet. At last, miss, cried the countess. But what is that you have got on? And why? For whom are you dressing? What sort of weather is it? Quite stormy, I believe. No, your excellency, said the valet. It is exceedingly fine. What do you know about it? Open the ventilator. Just what I told you. A frightful wind and as icy as can be. Unharness the horses. Lizaveta, my child, we will not go out today. It was scarcely worth the while to dress so much. What an existence, said the companion to herself. Lizaveta Ivanovna was in fact a most unhappy creature. The bread of the stranger is bitter, said Dante, and his staircase is hard to climb. But who can tell the torments of a poor little companion attached to an old lady of quality? The countess had all the caprices of a woman spoiled by the world. She was avaricious and egotistical and thought all the more of herself now that she had ceased to play an active part in society. She never missed a ball and she dressed and painted in the style of a bygone age. She remained in a corner of the room where she seemed to have been placed expressly to serve as a scarecrow 
Everyone on coming in went to her and made her a low bow, but this ceremony once at an end, no one spoke a word to her. She received the whole city at her house, observing the strictest etiquette and never failing to give everyone his or her proper name. Her innumerable servants growing pale and fat in the antechamber did absolutely as they liked, so that the house was pillaged as if its owner were really dead. Lizaveta passed her life in continual torture. If she made tea, she was reproached with wasting the sugar. If she read a novel to the Countess, she was held responsible for all the absurdities of the author. If she went out with the noble lady for a walk or drive, it was she who was to blame if the weather was bad or the pavement muddy. Her salary, more than modest, was never punctually paid and she was expected to dress like everyone else, that is to say, like very few people indeed. When she went into society, her position was sad. Everyone knew her, no one paid her any attention. At a ball, she sometimes danced, but only when a vis-a-vis was wanted. Women would come up to her, take her by the arm, and lead her out of the room if their dress required attending to. She had her portion of self-respect and felt deeply the misery of her position. She looked with impatience for a liberator to break her chain. But the young men, prudent in the midst of their affected giddiness, took care not to honor her with their attentions. Though Lizabeth Ivanovna was a hundred times prettier than the shameless or stupid girls whom they surrounded with their homage. More than once she slunk away from the splendor of the drawing room to shut herself up alone in her little bedroom furnished with an old screen and a piece carpet, a chest of drawers, a small looking glass, and a wooden bedstead. There she shed tears at her ease by the light of a tallow candle in a tin candlestick. One morning, it was two days after the party at Naramov's, and a week before the scene we have just sketched. Lizaveta was sitting at her embroidery before the window when, looking carelessly into the street, she saw an officer in the uniform of the engineers standing motionless with his eyes fixed upon her. She lowered her head and applied herself to her work more attentively than ever. Five minutes afterward, she locked mechanically into the street and the officer was still in the same place. Not being in the habit of exchanging glances with young men who passed by her window, she remained with her eyes fixed on her work for nearly two hours until she was told that lunch was ready. She got up to put her embroidery away and while doing so, she looked into the street and saw the officer still in the same place. This seemed to her very strange. After lunch, she went to the window with a certain emotion, but the officer of engineers was no longer in the street. She thought no more of him, but two days afterward, just as she was getting into the carriage with the countess, she saw him once more standing straight before the door. His face was half concealed by a fur collar, but his black eyes sparkled beneath his helmet. Lizaveta was afraid, without knowing why, and she trembled as she took her seat in the carriage. On returning home, she rushed with a beating heart towards the window. The officer was in his habitual place, with his eyes fixed ardently upon her. She at once withdrew, 
burning at the same time with curiosity and moved by a strange feeling which she now experienced for the first time. No day now passed but the young officer show himself beneath the window. Before long, a dumb acquaintance was established between them. Sitting at her work, she felt his presence, and when she raised her head, she looked at him for a long time every day. The young man seemed full of gratitude for these innocent favors. She observed with the deep, rapid perceptions of youth that a sudden redness covered the officer's pale cheeks as soon as their eyes met. After about a week, she would smile at seeing him for the first time. When Tomsky asked his grandmother's permission to present one of his friends, the heart of the poor young girl beat strongly, and when she heard that it was Naramov, she bitterly repented having comprised her secret by letting it out to a giddy young man like Paul. Herman was the son of a German settled in Russia from whom he had inherited a small sum of money. Firmly resolved to preserve his independence, he had made it principle not to touch his private income. He lived on his pay and did not allow himself the slightest luxury. He was not very communicative and his reserve rendered it difficult for his comrades to amuse themselves at his expense. Under an assumed calm, he concealed strong passions and a highly imaginative disposition, but he was always master of himself and kept himself free from the ordinary faults of young men. Thus, a gambler by temperament, he never touched a card, feeling, as he himself said, that his position did not allow him to risk the necessary in view of the superfluous. Yet he would pass his entire nights before a card table, watching with feverish anxiety the rapid changes of the game. The anecdote of Count St. Germain's three cards had struck his imagination, and he did nothing but think of it all that night. If, he said to himself next day as he was walking along the streets of St. Petersburg, if she would only tell me her secret, if she would only name the three winning cards, I must get presented to her that I may pay my court and gain her confidence. Yes, and she is 87. She may die this week, tomorrow perhaps. But after all, is there a word of truth in the story? No. Economy, temperance, work. These are my three winning cards. With them, I can double my capital, increase it tenfold. They alone can ensure my independence and prosperity. Dreaming in this way as he walked along, his attention was attracted by a house built in an antiquated style of architecture. The street was full of carriages, which passed one by one before the old house, now brilliantly illuminated. As the people stepped out of the carriages, Herman saw now the little feet of a young woman, now the military boot of a general. Then came a clock stocking, then again a diplomatic pump. Fur-lined cloaks and coats passed in procession before a gigantic porter. Herman stopped. Who lives here? He said to a watchman in his box. The Countess Anna Fedotovna. It was Tomsky's grandmother. Herman started. The story of the three cars came once more upon his imagination. He walked to and fro before the house, 
thinking of the woman to whom it belonged, of her wealth and her mysterious power. At last, he returned to his den, but for some time he could not get to sleep, and when at last sleep came upon him, he saw, dancing before his eyes, cards, a green table, and heaps of rubles and banknotes. He saw himself doubling stake after stake, always winning, and then filling his pockets with piles of coin and stuffing his pocketbook with countless banknotes. When he awoke, he sighted to find that his treasures were but creations of a disordered fancy, and to drive such thoughts from him, he went out for a walk. But he had not gone far when he found himself once more before the house of the countess. He seemed to have been attracted there by some irresistible force. He stopped and looked up at the windows. There he saw a girl's head with beautiful black hair leaning gracefully over a book or an embroidery frame. The head was lifted and he saw a fresh complexion and black eyes. This moment decided his fate. Are you still up? Girl, good night. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.